Time once again for the Talking Tide podcast. I'm Chase Goodbread of NFL.com and Crimson Cover Television. I'm joined by Travis Ryer, the senior recruiting analyst at BamaOnline.com and the daily radio host of Southern Fried Sports, which you can get at 100.9 FM in Tuscaloosa weekday mornings. 11 to noon. You can also catch Pops on Point Weekly, which is the <laughs> finest segment there is on that radio program. Uh, always a, a must hear if you uh, uh, ever jump on that, that uh, radio station website. You can pull that up as well. Lots to get into here on Talking Tide. Of course, you can get Talking Tide at our web host at podbean.com. Also, various apps, including iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Our Twitter feed is talking underscore tide. You can get alerts there uh, when we drop a podcast, which we do twice weekly during football season. And uh, we're into the Sunday nighter, Travis. Now Alabama coming off a 47-23 SEC opening road win over the Gamecocks. Pretty resounding uh, victory for Alabama, uh, and especially Tua Tungvaloa, who had a, a phenomenal game, uh, uh, a record game for sure uh, for the Crimson Tide. Yeah, we thought we had seen it all from Tua Tungvaloa. Well, turns out we hadn't because 400-plus passing yards, five passing TDs uh, in the same game. First time that's ever happened in Alabama football program history. So uh, just a little something else for – to it to add to the resume but you've been to columbia south carolina you kind of know the the layout there the setup uh that fan base excitable excitable even without much in the way of championships uh for that program throughout the year so you kind of figured early that crowd would be into it that was the case and it was warm over there you know that 230 kickoff 240 kickoff uh it was about what you would expect but um you know, Tua does what he does so often, and those receivers do what they've done so often. They come right out uh, and kind of take the crowd out of it. And a little bit of an interesting uh, look from the Alabama offense in, in ending that drive. And something we saw throughout the game, Chase, and that's Najee Harris and those backs really involved in the passing game Saturday. You know, going back to the to the crowd over there and, and the atmosphere, the, relative to the – relative to the wins that that program gets that crowd is really hard to beat i mean i I mean i I have a hard time naming too many teams around the country uh who fill the seats as loudly and as uh consistently as south carolina fans relative to the success of the program they're kind of like the cleveland indians fan base of the sec you know or one of those uh one of those major league baseball teams the orioles although the orioles are so bad this year you know it, it, look it, i wouldn't i wouldn't equate them to the cubs because wrigley field is kind of a museum people come from all over just to go to field they're not even really cubs fans right well, if you're a south carolina fan and you're in the stadium and there's eighty five thousand of you it, it's not a bucket list trip okay for college football fans so yeah I think their fan base year in and year out. Uh, you know, they stand in there and, and and they bring it as much as anyone in the league. Uh, the running backs getting involved in the passing game. You made note of that. Najee Harris, a big day receiving, actually a bigger day receiving than rushing. Uh, Five eighty-seven and two touches uh, for the Alabama starter at the running back position. Uh, Nick Saban uh, lamented a little bit the absence of, of balance between run pass, but post game. 
Uh, he commented that th- that they called a ton of RPOs and that the def- the defensive look that Tua was getting from South Carolina dictated the pull instead of the give. Yeah, that that's that's where I think it it gets interesting is that you know there's sort of this narrative that you know Alabama's totally getting away from the run and uh, you know really just isn't as uh, focused on that part of its offense but absolutely with the RPOs in play and when you have an absolute wizard in that aspect of the offense I I think that going back to the situation with Tua and Jalen uh, in 2017 I, I think there was this expectation well yeah Tua is going to be the better pocket guy but when it comes to RPOs and things like that that's where he's going to fall behind Jalen no no, he, he's even more proficient in that area than he is maybe even from the pocket because the ball handling and the ability to get the ball out so quickly and accurately. Um, you know, I've said it before. I think he makes it look too easy at times, Chase, because, you know, these receivers are so dynamic and so explosive that they do so much after the catch that, that you know, the, the credit deservedly to an extent goes to those guys. But he also a lot of times, Chase, gets them the ball in situations and in ways in which they have that extra split second or sometimes he'll even throw them into running lanes. Uh, We saw that on a couple occasions on Saturday again, too. I guess my question is, if you're Traveris Robinson, the D.C. at South Carolina, you're facing arguably the best quarterback in college football and inarguably the best core of wide receivers in college football, and you're looking at an Alabama team that hadn't run the ball great through the first two weeks of the season – why in the world are your defensive looks dictating pass? Why not give Alabama all the looks necessary to force the give? Yeah, you know, here's the thing, and that's where the the RPO is so difficult to defend is because, you know, two is keying on one guy a lot of times in, in those situations. And if that sort of weak side backer or outside backer steps to the run action well then he's pulling and hitting the slant right behind you so he yo-yos that one defender there um to the to the play side that he's looking to to hit the the pass part of it It, it's it's tough man because um i'd staple that guy's feet to the turf (laughs) yeah okay well you you can try that yeah you can try that and um you know i maybe it would work but i'm just telling you you know, that's why it's effective. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, definitely um, the passing game on fire. A quiet day, surprisingly, for Jerry Judy uh, on a day when, when Tungavaloa throws for 440, uh, the number one receiver on the team, pretty quiet. But it was uh, a big day for Devontae Smith, 8-126 and 2 for him. Got involved early. Uh, right out of the gate, first drive, Devontae Smith getting involved. And, and of course, Henry Ruggs made another monster play, I think an 81-yard uh, touchdown catch. Again, something relatively short that he turned into a burner. He goes six for 122. Uh, Sark, the Sark offense doesn't throw over the top nearly as much as the Kiffin offense did. Uh, so many of these explosive plays, Travis, come on much higher percentage passes that just get broken loose. They do. But, again, I, I think to his ability, if you want to put him next to most college quarterbacks in the RPO game, you know, especially guys even in the SEC, 
and and he, he makes it look a lot easier than it is. But absolutely, when you've got those kind of guys after the catch that can do what they can do, as long as you can keep hitting it, you're going to keep hitting it. And that's what Alabama has done now for about, what is it, 18 games now that we've been seeing this with Tua behind center and with these receivers? Um, you know, so I, I do think they see – I think there are times where teams dare them to run the football. You know, they play two safeties deep or – you know, play a cover two, and, you know, the problem there is, you know, you still end up leaving too much green for these guys, and you're still leaving room in which underneath they can hit these things off that RPO action and still still hit you for a big play. I think there's defenses more often than not that are set up, and I thought South Carolina early pretty much made this statement. We're going to let you have the underneath stuff and the shorter stuff, but we're going to tackle you. Um, and, and that was that was the plan. But even with that being the plan, we still see rugs, like you said, take a slant and hit the Jets, and off he goes 81 yards for a touchdown. Second drive of the game, South Carolina comes up with a couple of sacks. Second Alabama drive of the game, mm-hmm. South Carolina comes up with a back-to-back sacks. I think Najee Harris busted a, a, a pass pro pickup uh, for the second of those. They come back the next drive, though, Travis, went right back to the passing game but they got the ball out quick and I and I felt I kind of felt like that was a a Sark adjustment there that 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 he wanted to make sure that they weren't going to be catching uh catching sacks again there and and uh three quick passes is all it took as a matter of fact I think the third of those was the rugs touchdown uh that, that got broken loose so uh I thought that was a nice adjustment there for Alabama's second touchdown yeah they they weren't going to uh they weren't going to go a third straight possession with uh, protection concerns. I mean, Javon Kinlaw uh, with that first sack, and in fairness to Chris Owens, it looked like Evan Neal, the left guard, stepped on his foot um, as he was trying to work one-on-one with a guy like Javon Kinlaw. That's, that's tough. Obviously, <laughs> that's not ideal. Um, and you're right, Najee Harris missed a blitz pickup, which is also why I think we saw Brian Robinson. It was probably scripted that Robinson was going to be a part of things early in the game. Uh, is that one-two punch? But you know, Brian Robinson, in comparison to Najee, is the the more uh, uh, proficient uh, pass protector, I would say. Now catching it, yeah, Najee showed you what he can do. But yeah, I thought I thought Sark called a good game. I really did. Um, you know, I know the run the damn ball crowd. It wasn't nearly enough. Uh, but if you get close to 200 yards from scrimmage from your top two backs, regardless of how they accumulate that yardage chase with a couple of touchdowns. In today's game, you take the yards and the points. You know, it, it may not come the way that your that Papio Daniels Crimson Tide did it, but that's the game we're playing today. How about the Najee Harris touchdown catch where he pretty much face plants the first man, hurdles the second, and then I don't know what the third guy was doing, but that was about as bad as the South Carolina defense looked all day. I thought, now of course the hurdle was the was the the part of that play that drew all the attention. I thought the last guy, Ernest Jones, yeah. uh, it, it, for my money, that was the most embarrassing missed tackle of the three on that play just because I just, I don't know, it looked to me like he had a, a pretty easy play to at least knock him out of bounds, but uh, he didn't wrap at all and, and bounced right off him. Yeah, at first glance, I thought it might be a corner that tried to get back into the play and just kind of got shrugged off, but no, that's your that's your start middle linebacker, you know, they can't make that play at the end of that. But no, I mean, um, that, that one chase, 
that one won't be going on the South Carolina hype video for the trip to Mizzou this no. week. I don't think. <laughs> no, but but you'll when, when it's time for Najee Harris to get drafted, you'll oh. see you, you'll see that on on uh-huh. NFL Network uh-huh. and ESPN a couple times. You know, uh, it'll, a couple it'll, hundred. Yeah, on a loop. Uh, no doubt about it. Uh, moving on to the Alabama defense, Travis, your thoughts on the Crimson Tide's effort on that side of the ball. Uh, they end up giving up 23 points on the day. Had some hiccups, had some issues. I thought they, I thought they played fairly well in spots, but you could you could see the youth, uh, yeah. which you should expect in September. Right. Well, and you don't have your two projected starting inside linebackers, you know, one of those being a first round talent who had a full year of starts under his belt a year ago in Dylan Moses. And, you know, maybe, maybe Josh McMillan ends up getting beat out early in the season or, or maybe even late in the preseason, but he was running alongside Dylan Moses for a reason. And I think one of those reasons is exactly some of what we saw on Saturday um you know it was it was very much a learning experience I think for all those inside linebackers Shane Lee uh Christian Harris I mean we saw four inside linebackers in the first two quarters and change Markel Benton was in the game Shane Lee had some headgear issues uh but then we saw Markel Benton we saw Ali Caho in the game for Christian Harris and it's not just the production part of it you know like the tackles and tackles for loss and things like that it's the it's the, the calling to the defense getting the table set you had Alabama with a couple of substitution infractions on Saturday I give South Carolina a lot of credit man they game plan for those young guys didn't they I mean they got their guys in some isolation situations you knew they were coming and also the tempo early in the game to kind of speed things up for those guys worked them in the short passing game early uh, and, and and you could definitely see some confusion. I think Nick Saban said there was a particular formation uh, that was that was throwing the guys off as well. Uh, but uh, Caho, as you mentioned, gets in there for Christian Harris. It's going to be interesting to see uh, as Alabama and of course there's a non-conference game coming up. But as the SEC schedule uh, gets rolling in earnest in a couple of weeks. What kind of platoon, if any, emerges there, or does or does or does one guy kind of take it over? It's going to be something to watch. Yeah, I think it is, and I think that's the good news for Alabama coming out of this game with some of the gloom and doom that you're hearing from the fan base is that you have Southern Miss coming up on Saturday, you have Ole Miss a week from Saturday, then you have an open date, so you've got three weeks coming up to get these guys a little bit further down the road before you take this thing on the road to Texas A&M on October the 12th. That's the next big mile marker in terms of seeing where these young linebackers are at. I think they're going to probably be okay against Southern Miss and Ole Miss the next two weeks. Uh, But again, coming off that bye week and then heading to Texas A&M and uh, trying to meet up with that challenge. That's when we'll get a better feel for, for their growth. Defensive end LeBron Ray hurt again. It looks like it's the same injury that uh, kept him out of a, an extensive portion of the preseason. The extent of the injury, unknown. I know by the time uh, some of our listeners catch this podcast, Nick Saban will have already updated LeBron Ray's status at his uh, lunchtime Monday news conference. But regardless, looks like that freshman Justin Aboyby, his, his, his time may have come, at least for now. Yeah, that's going to be very interesting because to hear Nick Saban talk about that injury to Ray Chase and to use 
the terminology of a reaggravation to something that was already surgically repaired in the off season, uh, that typically doesn't bode well. Uh, so I, 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 I'd be surprised if we see LeBron Ray uh, here for the foreseeable future. And you're right. It, it's kind of the timing of things. You know, it's the good news, bad news. The good news is you finally get Justin Aboigbe in the rotation for the first time. Uh, you saw him out there Saturday. Uh, but then you lose LeBron Ray. So it's the give and take right now that is Alabama's defense when it comes to injuries. More take than give, it seems like. But there's no doubt, in terms of upside and potential, uh, Justin Aboigbe, uh has has it. And to go along with Byron Young and DJ Dale, uh, you know those other two true freshmen that are already in that rotation, that's, that's a lot of youth. But uh, it's a lot of talent as well. And then with LeBron Ray, you know, if it does work out that he's out for an extended period, maybe even the rest of the season, uh, the, the the silver lining there, I guess, is that it happened in the third game with the four-game redshirt rule. Uh, I think even under the old way, he might still qualify. He, he could save this year uh, and be a redshirt junior next year, I guess. Special teams for Alabama. Will Reichert misses a field goal from 37, also misses a PAT, which you know Alabama fans – uh, can't stand to see that after some of the PAT woes uh, that have come through uh, Bryant-Denny Stadium. But uh, not a great game for Reichard in his first SEC road contest. A couple of big penalties, though, on South Carolina, also key in the special teams area. Travis won. Of course, they get the penalty on the hold that wiped out what would have been a touchdown on a fake field goal. Uh, kind of a crazy holder flip over the – I think Les I think, Miles. Yeah, that was a Les Miles special. Did it to Florida, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, he beat Florida with one of those back yeah, in the day. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And this one actually got got fumbled and scooped up and <laughs> ended up a touchdown anyway. If you're a South Carolina fan, if you're a South Carolina coach, what you hate the most about that play is not just that the flag was thrown, but that it probably didn't need to be thrown. Yeah. Uh, because that guy had enough of a piece of Shane Lee that Shane Lee wasn't going to make that play. Well, he wasn't going to make that tackle anyway. As long as he got a piece of him, he didn't have to hold him. I agree. And if you're South Carolina, you know, you're, you're thinking, how many, how many road teams get that call on, on a play like that? And especially to the home team sideline. Uh, if, if you're Alabama, you, you feel fortunate. Do, do I think by the, the letter of the rule book it was a hold? Yeah, it was. But how many times do we see that in a road situation for a team not go call, uh, go uncalled? Plenty. And uh, especially on that side of the field. But uh, it was certainly big. And you're right. South Carolina, some devastating uh, special teams, mistakes and penalties. Even the opening kickoff of the game, for crying out loud, uh, the, the the kickoff specialist for South Carolina, Tommy, sends it out of bounds. Uh, you also had a big punt of like 66 yards, right, uh, in the second quarter. Down to the one? It was, yeah, it's going to be down at the one. Uh, and you got an illegal formation or, a, you know, uh, something of the sort, a five-yard penalty that wipes out that. Jalen Waddle ends up with an 18-yard return on the punt that follows. And, you know, that's a huge chunk of yardage, 35 yards or so that South Carolina lost in that situation. But, you know, it was a little bit of a, a lackluster performance for Reichert, although I think Nick Saban would tell you you got to be better in the red zone. I mean, you had three red zone stalls after going the first two games without a red zone stall in terms of scoring touchdowns uh, in those situations. Alabama 0 for 3. 
uh, on or uh, I want to say one of four maybe. Devontae Smith had the 11 yard touchdown grab, I guess. But uh, it, it wasn't it wasn't what we're used to seeing from Alabama in terms of uh, cashing in those opportunities for for touchdowns either. I, I'll tell you what I'm more concerned about than even Riker is the punting situation. I mean, they only punted once. So everyone kind of conveniently forgets that 14-yarder yeah. in the first quarter. But, you know, you, you hope that Scoured along had kind of got the things worked out from last year. Um, and you'd love to see him own that job and free Reichert up to just handle placement chase. But that 14-yarder on Saturday did nothing to sort of alleviate the, the concerns from a year ago. And as long as Riker's performance is up and down, I can't imagine a scenario. I mean, obviously you can only put up with so many 14-yard punts, but yeah. as long, I don't think we're going to see Riker punting out there until he's got the field goal issue straightened out. Well, you know, Mike Bernier's back. He was the guy that took it over yeah. from, uh, from DeLong last year, and he wasn't included on the 105 because I don't think they figured that Mike Bernier would be uh, even in the mix this year with Reichard and and also uh, DeLong coming back. But just a, just a name to put in your back pocket, I, I would probably think they would still go with Reichard first, uh, maybe over Bernier, but he's, he's still hanging around. Sour taste in the mouths of those who laid the points in this one, Travis. Back back door cover, they call that well, for the Gamecocks, you know, by the way. They know better, Chase. They just don't always do better. Yeah. They yeah. know better, though. They know better. Well, you know. It, it's uh, it feels like a rabbit punch. You know, it's like you're not getting. It's one thing to get knocked out right in the nose. Yeah. It's another one to catch it behind the head. You know, and that's well, what those... I, I looked out beyond that north end zone about midway through the fourth quarter, and I saw a limousine with a Brinks truck behind it, and it was the man. The man was wheeling into that one end zone. He was coming to uh, make his uh, pickup from the boys, and uh, maybe even some of the gals that. Uh, you know, jack that line. The man did okay, right? Because that line went from 21 to 25 and a half throughout the week. So the yeah. man did pretty good, didn't he? He, he did fine. He did fine. <laughs> uh, believe that's back-to-back weeks now that uh, the Alabama uh, backdoor I, look, underdog cover look, has come through, right? Look, I've told you people, okay? <laughs> I've told you people. I sound like Nick Saban right yeah. now. I've told you people that when Alabama puts all those twos and some of threes out there on defense yeah. and your money's in the balance, <laughs> go ahead, go ahead and, and hit the, uh, hit the, the, uh, withdrawal button, you know, on the, on the laptop or the phone, because it's gone. That money's gone. It's gone. Heavy chalk is dangerous chalk. <laughs> we know this. Well, and home dogs have teeth. Yeah. yeah. Sharp ones. <laughs> Talking Tide Podcast rolling on. We're going to thank a couple of sponsors right now really quick, starting with Session Cocktails and Spirits, Tuscaloosa's newest cocktail bar, a smoke-free environment indoors, and a fantastic place. You need to check it out. Opening this Thursday, September 19th, is your grand opening. I happened to drop by there for what they call a soft opening. Uh, a couple of days ago, I had one of those Moscow Mules, which is one of the signature drinks they've got over there at Session Cocktails and Spirits. The address, 2221 University Boulevard in downtown Tuscaloosa. Uh, again, smoke-free on the inside. They've got a smoking area with some lounge furniture on the outside. It's 
great place to go for modern classic cocktails, pre-prohibition cocktails, whatever you're looking for. Let's have a session at Session Cocktails and Spirits. Also want to thank North River Dental Associates, former Alabama football player Dr. Jack Smalley and his staff of professional hygienists. They're who you go to to get your teeth taken care of in Tuscaloosa. Uh, Call 752-3506 to make an appointment. You can also go to the website at northriverdentist.com. Set up an appointment there. Now on a routine cleaning, you're going to get in and out of there in under an hour, sometimes a lot less than an hour. Uh, I went under 40 minutes, I think, the last time I rolled in there for my twice-yearly cleaning from Dr. Jack. And whatever your dental needs, whether it's porcelain veneers, uh, pediatric dentistry, laser dentistry, teeth whitening services, endodontics, dentures, they do it all over at North River Dental Associates, 1100 Fairfax Park off McFarland Boulevard in Northport. I'm going to tell you about a place I spent some of my Sunday afternoon here in the, in the last little bit, and that's Heat Pizza Bar, downtown Tuscaloosa at Government Plaza. You know it. You've been there. But in case you haven't, you need to check it out ASAP. Will and Frank and the entire crew there do an outstanding job. I was in there Sunday afternoon, and I've told you before about the sports television management that is second to none at Heat Pizza Bar. They've got the NFL ticket at Heat Pizza Bar. So any game you wanted on Sunday was available to you. That's right. Also the Red Zone. Some of you Red Zone fans out there, we get that. The Red Zone channel, you like that. They got you taken care of with the Red Zone channel as well. But Heat Pizza Bar, those outstanding pies, I, you know, I can't get away from the Thai chicken pizza. Uh, but if you're just a standard cheese or pepperoni or meat lovers type, they got you covered with that as well at heat pizza bar downtown tuscaloosa at government plaza try that bon voyage cocktail as well it's got a little bit of tito's vodka in there for you some muddled strawberry some basil to go along with it really really good stuff heat pizza bar downtown tuscaloosa at government plaza also downtown a top 10 breakfast in the united states of america that's brick and spoon at timerson square in downtown Tuscaloosa. You know, it's more than just breakfast. And the breakfast is enough, trust me. Just breakfast is plenty for you if that's your thing at Brick and Spoon. But they've got some outstanding salads as well. Some brunch options, some lunch options. The wife is a big avocado fan. So that shrimp and avocado salad at Brick and Spoon, yeah, you need to check that out. Uh, Always great brunch. Always great, great Bloody Marys, mimosas. Check it out, Brick and Spoon, downtown Tuscaloosa at Timerson Square. Talking Tide podcast rolling on. Travis Ryer and Chase Goodbread with you for a few more minutes. We're going to recap the week that was around the Southeastern Conference. Just a couple of games noteworthy, certainly, Travis. Florida uh, getting past Kentucky on the road, 29-21. Little, got a late touchdown that, that made it look like it was a, an easier win than it was. Uh, Kentucky actually had a shot to put this thing um, away with a field goal late near the end of regulation. Uh, they missed it wide right, I believe. And, uh, of course, maybe the, the bigger news coming out of this for the University of Florida, Travis, Felipe Franks, yeah. uh, with a, a horrific injury for sure, was was not pretty at all, uh, presumably out for the season. Kyle Trask, 
who t- kind of took over for Franks and and led the Gators and 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 Trask ought to um, k- kudos to Trask for his performance to finish that game up. But a tough way to go out for Franks. It really was. Um, and you're right. Give Kyle Trask and that football team a lot of credit because. After Franks went out, Florida outscores Kentucky 19 to nothing on the road. So um, typically it's a, uh, a gloom and doom situation when you lose your starting quarterback, especially an experienced guy like Felipe Franks. But, you know, Kyle Trask is a guy that's been in that program for quite some time now. So it wasn't exactly foreign to him what he was being asked to do by Dan Mullen and that offensive staff. Um, you feel bad for the Kentucky kicker. First of all, his name's Chance Poor. So that's tough enough to have that kind of name as a kicker. Uh, but had had the opportunity really of a lifetime uh, there in front of him as a redshirt freshman. Couldn't come through uh, from a very makeable distance. But uh, the Gators sort of survive in advance. And now we'll see with Kyle Trask on tape a little bit there, Chase, uh, how he's able to sort of hold that up moving forward as the projected starter for the Gators. Arkansas 55-34 winners over Colorado State. We touched on this game just a little bit in the midweek podcast, Travis. Uh, Arkansas getting the job done. Your guy, Nick Starkle, you called for him. He comes in. He throws for yeah. 305 yeah. Uh, yeah. against the Rams. And uh, yeah, that game at 55-34, that's another one where if you only saw the box score, you'd think it was a runaway maybe. But, no, it, that game was tied uh, going into the fourth quarter. Yeah, Colorado State actually came back from, I think, 14 down there in the second half, tied it up, and you're thinking, oh, my gosh, here we go again with a Chad Morris coach team, not going to beat an FBS opponent. Um, But, yeah, Starkle kind of did his thing. Uh, Rakeem Boyd, the running back from last chance you a couple years ago, continues to put up some nice numbers. So, offensively, some progression there with Starkle taking over as the starter at quarterback, but still defensively on that side of the ball, Chase, uh, giving up far too much, especially when you start trying to think about what's what's coming down the road for Arkansas and SEC play. Yeah, it's going to be a a rough year for that defense, no doubt about it. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of the Talking Tide podcast. Be sure to join us for the midweeker coming up. Uh, on Wednesday, Travis and I will be previewing Alabama's forthcoming home game against Southern Miss. That's going to be an 11 a.m. Central Time kickoff, uh, which, uh, as we know, Travis, uh, pe- a lot of people aren't too happy with that 11 a.m. kick over there in the administrative buildings. But uh, it's going to be a hot one, I'm sure, once again against uh, So Miss. And uh, we'll, we'll be breaking it down on Wednesday here on the Talking Tide podcast. So for Travis Ryer of BamaOnline.com and Southern Fried Sports, I'm Chase Goodbread of NFL.com and Crimson Cover Television. We'll talk to you next time right here on Talking Tide.